Restore us again, O oh God of our salvation. And put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O oh Lord, and grant us your salvation. Father, you, you promise that your steadfast love never ceases. It's one of the many ways that you express your faithfulness to us even when we are faithless because you cannot deny yourself. You're steadfast in your love toward us. Your mercies, they are new every morning. So God, as we stand together in this room, we are proclaiming that we are standing on that truth. And so that means it doesn't matter what, what life can throw at us. Nothing can thwart your truth. Nothing can twist your steadfast love to us. It's always giving. And so we love you too. Amen. Amen. Man, I love that uh, God of Revival song. Lord, you can light it up, right? We want to bring revival to our nation, and we're the light. Revival's got to happen in our hearts first before we can really take it out there. So thank you, Jonathan and team, for uh, bringing us to the heart of God this morning. Uh, we are beginning a journey with the people of Israel towards the promised land, that we're beginning this kind of wandering in their life that's going to happen. It's going to be somewhat symbolic of us. You know, what does our walk with Jesus Christ look like? After this point of Christ's salvation, we have him renewing our heart, our heart of stone, as we heart, replace the heart of flesh. We, we now have this new life in Christ, and, and how do we walk and how do we live as the people of God? So today, I want you to put yourself into sort of the shoes of the people of Israel as they hear the report of the spies that we're going to read about today, and let you kind of, as you hear this report, choose which way are you going to choose. Are you going to choose God's way, or are you going to choose the way of man. So we're picking up in Exodus chapter 40, the very end of that book last week. Um, and we, we kind of skipped this little section, but I want to read it because I think it's important. Verse 16 in chapter 40. This Moses did according to all that the Lord commanded him, so he did. In the first month of the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. The tabernacle is finished. It's done. We now have it. Moses finished the work. Just as we're called to finish the work that God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in them, Moses has finished the work on the tabernacle. It's ready. The cloud of God is going to lead them by day, the fire by night, and they're going to head towards the promised land. Okay? Now, flip forward a little bit to the book of Numbers. Okay? Um, I know we love us some Leviticus, but the book of Numbers continues this historical narrative of the people. So we're just going to quickly sprint through Numbers to get us up to our story today. You might remember Numbers chapter 1 was the census. And we, we took this census in chapter 1 and we applied it in picture form to chapter 2. 
Numbers chapter 2 is where they taught how to camp around the tabernacle. And do you remember what that kind of camping looked like? It ended up looking like a cross, right? And we had that kind of visual picture that was there. That was chapters 2 and 3. And then chapter 4 in Numbers, we read when we talked about how are they going to move this tabernacle? How are they going to move the Ark of the Covenant? How are they going to do all those things? That was Numbers chapter 4. Numbers chapter 5 is when God begins to train the Levites on what they're supposed to do, how they're supposed to handle certain cases. And then in chapter 6, we have the Nazarite vow, which you, the most famous people that have a Nazarite vow probably is Samson that you heard of before, that whole interesting story that goes on there. In chapter 7, we have these consecration of the different items that were going to be in the tabernacle and the offerings that are there. We have lampstands. We have Passover starting. We have trumpets being made. And one trumpet blow, the leaders came. Two trumpets, everybody came. You know, all this kind of, all these kind of communication system being set up. All the things that need, were necessary for them to begin this movement of God are outlined in the beginning part of Numbers. But we're going to pick up in Numbers chapter 11. Because it doesn't take long for us, them, I mean, for them to complain. It doesn't take long for us inside of our walk with Christ to grumble, does it? It doesn't take long for us to miss the sins that we did before, right? And we're going to see that picture here. Look what it says in verse 1. It says, And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we had in Egypt, and it cost nothing. It cost nothing. You're in slavery. But the fish was free. And then they had cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. And now our strength is dried up. There is nothing at all but this manna to look at that fell from heaven, forgiven by God, that tasted sweet like honey. Anyway, do you see the grumbling? Here's something I need you to understand. Every body of believers has rabble. Every body of believers has people that like to complain. They like to grumble. It's just, it's just the nature of us. Every church has sinners in it. No amens? A couple amens? Right? We're full of sinners. We mess up. We complain. We have this tendency. Every believer in the history of the world, every group of believers has people in it that complain and grumble, okay? But, of course, not the leadership, right? The leaders would never complain. Leadership would never mess up. Oh, wait, chapter 12. Okay, so Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Wait, this is his own family, his brother and his sister. By the way, what, what does Aaron have to talk about? Golden calf, did we forget? Aaron has nowhere to talk, right? But here's Aaron and Miriam, and they speak out against Moses. This is chapter 12, verse 1. Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. And now the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face 
of the earth. Remember this idea of meekness was this idea of you have the power to do something, but you choose not to. You have the ability, Moses has the ability to not intercede for them, and the Lord would destroy them. But yet Moses chooses to put himself in between the people and God, to be that mediator for them. But he chose not to speak against them in this case. He was very meek, more than anyone on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. Doesn't that sound like a dad talking to kids that are in trouble? You three, over here, come to the tent, right? And from this point on, God's like defending Moses. Guys, that's so much better than you defending yourself. Let God be your defender. Live above reproach. Live a life that glorifies the Lord and let God be the one who defends you. And guys, this is, the point of this is every body of Christ has people that are going to grumble against leadership. Every, every body of Christ. You guys are amazing. Or else you just don't grumble to me, okay? But I'm saying, like, you guys are awesome. But every body of Christ has struggles inside of it. That's just the nature of the church. And the question is going to be, are you going to continue with endurance and perseverance through that? Or are you going to turn and run because of fear and because of these other things that are going on. Press through those things. Um, so then we, that, that gets us to the point where we're in chapter 13. And we're going to see this story that's pretty familiar to a lot of us. And this is the story of the 12 spies that were sent into the land. So chapter 13, now that we're all caught up, verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now there's more to the story in Deuteronomy chapter 1. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, Moses is talking about going into the promised land. The people begin to say, but, 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 but can we send spies in there? And then God speaks to Moses. They get together, and then the Lord says, okay, let's do this. Let's send people into the land. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran. According to the command of the Lord, all of them, men who were the heads of the people of Israel. So he's going to send them out. Who did he send out? From, chapter, from verse 4 down to verse 16 is a list of every one of the spies and what tribe they came from. I'm not going to read that list just for time's sake, but you can go back and see. These are the list of people. Here's the ten that didn't choose so wisely. We know the two, Joshua, Joshua and Caleb, who chose well and did well in that. So down to verse 17, after the list of the spies... Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to Negev, go up to the hill country, and and he's going to give them three pieces of advice, three things that I want you to spy out in the land. Here's the first one, and see what the land is. So spy out the land, see if it really is this land of milk and honey that God has promised it to be. Number two, it says, and whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many. So go in, check out the land, but also check out what are the people like? Are they big? Are they small? Is it going to be easy? Is it going to be hard? What's it, what's it like? Scatter report on their adversaries, okay? And then he says, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds. So what are the cities like? Are they just nomadic people wandering around different places, or have they built cities? Now, we know after the 40 years in the wilderness, Jericho. We know it's going to be fortified. We don't know what it's like now. 
We don't know what it's like at this particular time. So he's saying, go and spy out the land. Is it as good as God said it was? The people, do you think we can beat them? All right, and then the cities, how hard is it going to be? Now, do you notice that each one of these things are dependent upon how they can do things? They've removed God from the equation. Because God has already said the land is good. Do they need to spy it out for that? What sort of people can defeat God? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Anyone? Nobody, right? No, no one. And then what are the cities like? It doesn't matter. The world is his footstool. He can do anything he wants to do. So, but they're going to spy it out in that time. And so they're being sent out to do that. And verse 20 says, and whether the land is rich or poor, whether there are trees in it or not, be of good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So he's asking, bring back some of the early harvest. So they went up and they spied out the land in the wilderness of Zin and Rahab and of Lebohamath. And they went to the Negev and to some of Hebron, or to Hebron and to Ahaman and Shishai and Tamal. And the descendants of Anak were there. Hebron was built seven years before Zon in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eskol, and they cut down from there a branch of a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between the two of them. And they also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. And that place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster that the people of Israel had cut down from there. So I wish this is kind of like story time with Chris because we're just reading through some chapters. I wish I had like a really big board like, and the cluster of grapes and it had kind of a picture of it. What are you picturing? Right? There's two guys that are bringing back grapes on a pole. On a pole. So are you thinking like grapes as big as your head? Or are you thinking like just a bunch of grapes? Like there's thousands of them on this one thing. It's so heavy that they had to put on a pole and carry it between the two of them in order to get back. So what does that picture look like on the picture book? And now remember, put yourself into the scene because you're going to be the jury based upon the witnesses that come back. And you're going to have to make a decision. Are you going to go into the promised land or not? And so here's some of the evidence that's being put before them. So verse 25, at the end of 40 days, okay, ding, right, this is how my brain works, remember, For, why always 40 days? Aren't there a lot of those 40 days things in there? Like, what is this 40 days, like, symbolizing? Is it symbolizing, like, judgment on them? Is it symbolizing transition, where this is a transition of, so I actually kind of like that one. Is it a pure, what's going on? So let's think about where are the times in the Bible that this 40 days thing has come up. Well, the first one is Noah. It rained for 40 days and 40 nights. Obviously, judgment or a transformation of the world on that. But we also see times where Elijah, after Mount Carmel, this great victory on Mount Carmel, Jezebel threatens him and he runs for his life for 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. That's not really a judgment. That's just him running, but it does transform his ministry in a, in a powerful way. Remember Jonah? Jonah after his slight detour and swim, right? And he came in there. He, he hiked a day into Nineveh, and how long did he proclaim the message? Forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed, right? There's this 40 days, but instead of judgment, what happened to those people? They repented. They turned back to the Lord. They became, they different. They laid down their idols and they said, no, we're going to choose to follow God. Perhaps he will be kind to us and relent from his judgment upon us. Right? So we see this 40s. 
We've also seen 40 days, haven't we, in the book of Exodus? Do you remember that Moses went up on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, and he fasted in order to get the Ten Commandments twice? First time, remember, ah, rage monster. So twice he had to do that. And then if you look at Jesus' life, twice he had 40 days. One was 40 days in the desert to overcome the temptations of the enemy. This victory over sin here, but then the ultimate victory over sin was on the cross and the resurrection. And what happened at the resurrection? 40 days to proclaim that victory on the earth. Right, So we see this 40 number being this incredible number throughout Scripture pointing to this transformation of the world becoming different because of what's going on. And the world's going to become different. Their life is going to be different because of this 40 days that's going to turn into 40 years of time. But anyway, sorry, that was chasing my rabbit. Okay, at the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel and the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back the word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, let's pause. There's three reports that are going to be given by the spies. Okay, There's, first of all, what I'm going to call the fair report. They're going to just tell them the truth and let the people decide. Okay, Then there's going to be the faith report. Okay, The faith report is going to be Caleb is going to tell them, let's do it. God said we're supposed to go to the promised land. Let's go. We got this. Even if we don't got this, God's got this, right? That's the faith report. But then there's going to be the fear report. And the fear report is going to win out. The people are going to cave to those. But let's start with the fair report and see what the spies say to them at first, okay? So it says, and they told them, verse 27, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. Now, when you read that, how many of y'all think Willy Wonka? Like a milk river and like, oh, God, guess it's not saying that the land of Israel looked like, you know, Willy Wonka land, but it's saying the milk was representative of the pastures are good. Your livestock are going to thrive in this area. You're going to have milk instead of water to drink. You're going to have now have milk, something that's going to be rich and, and, and tasty and all those kind of different things that are going to happen. And then milk and honey. What does the honey represent? Well, there's not many bees in the desert. There's nothing to pollinate. Everything's dead. But there's bees to pollinate. There's, there's vegetation. There's fruit. There's all this abundance of things. By the way, aren't you amazed at God's creation? How much a tree can produce? Like a peach tree, how much that can produce? You're like trying to give it away to every friend or a tomato plant. Like, please, I've eaten so many tomatoes. Please take it. It's just amazing how God made it. But um, this, it's going to be plentiful. The bees are thriving. There's honey ever. That's the land of milk and honey. It's a rich, fertile amazing land. So they tell them it flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. We carried it on a pole. Look, it's amazing. However, so then they give them the bad news. That's the good news. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and their cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Now, who are these descendants of Anak? Well, these were the giants. You've heard of Nephilim before back from Noah's time. This is the, the Anak, the, the giants. The most famous of the giants would be Goliath, right? And so we know Goliath was a son of Anak. By the way, do you know how long Goliath came out and challenged the people of Israel? 40 days. Didn't end up so good for him. And then 40 days, right? Awesome story. Okay. So, so the sons of Anak, there's giants in the land, right? So they give a fair report. Milk and honey, 
awesome, but there are big people there. Cities of four to five, it's going to be tough, right? Then the people have some fear. How do we know that? Look what it says next. But Caleb quieted the people. Why did he have to quiet them? Because he started yeah, he's talking about, like, they're big. The, the giants are there. And they started kind of whispering around. Caleb quiets them and he says, I love Caleb, by the way. Now, Joshua was really cool too, but Joshua got to see God in some cool ways. But Caleb's just like, dude, I believe. I just got faith. I'm going, like, let's go. Right? Here's Caleb's words. He says, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Let's go. Let's, let's, do, let's do this. We got it. God's on our side. Right? Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. Here comes the fear report. Notice some things about the fear, how they're going to um, present this to the people differently than the fair report. Right? We, we can't go up. They're stronger than we are. And they brought out to the people a bad report of the land. And they spied it out, that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Where we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to, like ourselves, to grasshoppers to them, for so we seem to them. Whew, sorry, I had time to read that. They're saying, you guys are like grasshoppers to them. Now, time out. Do we really think that in that land we were grasshoppers? Now, remember, I'm a math guy, right? Ratios, proportions. Imagine a little grasshopper on the stage compared to me. How big is that giant? Now, I did calculations, right? Anywhere from, typically, if you had a big old one, that's like inch long, that would be a 360-foot giant, a 36-story tall giant in the land. Or if you take like another side, you like take a ginormous one, 124 feet was the, the smallest. I Is that how big the giants were? Were they like, boom, Gulliver's travel in the, in the land of, of milk and honey? Is that how we picture it? No. How do we picture it? Because we actually know one of the heights of the son of Anak, don't we? We know Goliath's height. It was six cubits. Remember a cubit? Was that distance? That makes it about nine feet tall. By the way, that's tall. Don't get me wrong. How many of y'all seen Shaq next to a normal-sized person? He's ginormous, right? And, and Goliath would be two feet taller than him. Whoa, that's big. But that's not like 124 feet tall. So one of the things I want you to understand, in the fear report, what they're doing is they're not giving the truth, right? There's two things that happens when people try to use fear to control you, right? They, number one, they, they try to, to stoke. The land's not as good as they say. It's going to devour you, right? They bring about this fear, but also they begin to exaggerate. They don't use the truth. And we see here them exaggerating. You're like grasshoppers to them instead of just presenting the truth and letting the people decide based on that truth. So we see this sort of fear report being stoked inside of them. Well, how are you going to respond? You've got the three reports. Somebody gave you this report. Then Caleb's like, let's go, guys. And then here's the fear. Which one are you going to choose? Now, I know. We're, we're past the story. We look back. We're like, I'm with Caleb, right? But are we? How often does fear... Fear turn us away from the living God. How many times do we have a tough situation in our life that we're supposed to step into? 
Because God wants us to have perseverance and endurance and to walk this walk. But the, the situation we're going through is really hard. So we turn from it, and guess what? When we turn from it, we typically blame God for the situation that we're in, don't we? Instead of saying, no, I'm going to walk in that truth. Do we believe that God has the victory? Do we believe that God has set us free from fear and anxiety? Then why do we let those things rule in our lives? Why do we change our decision because we're scared? Instead of stepping out in faith. And guys, guess what? Sometimes you're going to step out and you're going to lose. Sometimes you, you make great decisions and you just lose, but that's part of the process of walking with Christ. Who knows what God's going to do with that loss? How many times has the worst thing you've ever done turned into something that God used for his glory? I remember the worst sermon I've ever preached was on the book of Jude. Okay, Worst one. Terrible. I got to the end and I was like, "Woo, Okay. We did a little invitation at the end. Somebody came to know Jesus. They gave their life to Christ after that horrible sermon. Terrible. Because it's not about me. It's not about how good I am at performing. It's about what God's doing in that. So we can walk in, in no fear. We can walk in confidence because God is in control. They could have stepped in to the promised land with confidence, even though it was going to be hard. They could step into confidence because God was with them. But they didn't. Look at verse 1 in chapter 14. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we have died in the land of Egypt, or that we would have died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not have been better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? What are you talking about? Your children are going to be prey. They were prey. They were throwing them into the Nile River. Do you forget what it was like back then? They forget. Because fear breeds panic. And panic is always looking for a friend. Panic is looking for other people to join with to create this sort of mob mentality that we sometimes have in our world where people begin to team up against certain people to, to get whatever their version of morality is on other people. Beware of this mob mentality coming out there. Because, guys, this is the same mob mentality we see here happens in countries all around the world. I know that we think Maybe our culture is really progressive, but it's not. Our culture is just sinful. Now, before you get, it, get thinking, this isn't the political word progressive. We think that we've progressed so far. We think that our culture is so far above all these ancient cultures. We're not. We keep going in the same cycle of sin that many, many nations have gone through before. We begin to choose our own way over choosing to follow God. This is not about politics. It's not about any sort of thing happening in our world. It's about are we willing to step back into the truth of God? Because we have a group of people that want to move past the Bible. It's called a progressive church movement. They think, I want to move past historic Christianity. I want to move into something that's better. So I'm going to get rid of all of this stuff except for the words of Jesus. No, this whole book is about Jesus. Everything in here is the truth about Jesus, it's all worth studying. It's all worth understanding the full counsel of Scripture. 
We have to understand that the technology, the connectedness that we have in our world does not always lead us to better places because our hearts are desperately wicked. So as, our, as we continue to progress in this walk with Christ, let's remember, let's not get caught in that cycle of sin. Let's be set free. We don't want to be like the Israelites who choose not to go into God's plan for their life because of their fear. Look what it says in verse 3. Why, why is the Lord bringing us into the land that will die? Why is the Lord leading me this way? Because he's doing something great, even if it's going to be hard. Do you believe that's true? Or do you think that God only takes you to things that are easy? That he only makes you walk in green pastures? He does at times, doesn't he? But he also has, says have joy in the trials. Because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And that's what makes you mature and complete in the Lord. So we've got to be ready. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation of the people of Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to all the congregation of the people, the land which we pass through is to spy out is great and exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bread to us. They're like daily bread that the Lord makes fall from heaven. They're going to fall because of that. They're like bread for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Joshua, Caleb make their final appeal, their closing argument. And what do the people say? Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones. They just they say, we are going to, what are you talking about? We're not going in the land. And they begin to want to kill them. They want to destroy them because of their opinion, because of their report that they're giving to them. But the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the people of Israel. God shows up to protect them. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will this people despise me? Our lack of obedience, our desire for an easy, carefree life actually is not showing the love towards God. It's showing a, a hate towards him. If you love him, we obey his commands, right? So us choosing, I don't want to do what's hard, is actually us turning our face away from him. Instead of, Lord, if you're with me, I want to go. I'm going to follow you. Right? And they, he, why do they despise me? How long will they not believe me in spite of all the signs that I have done for them? I will strike them with the pestilence and disinherit them, and I'll make you a, a nation greater and mightier than them. And we've heard this before, haven't we? We've heard this discussion before with the golden calf. God's like, Moses, it's time to start over. Starting over with you. But Moses said to the Lord, then the Egyptians will hear of it, for you brought up this people in your might from among them, and they will tell the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people, for you, O Lord, are seen face to face, and your cloud stands over them, and you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Now if you kill this people as one man, then the nations whom you have heard your, of your fame will say, it is because the Lord was not able to bring this people out of the land that he swore to give to them that he killed them in this wilderness. And now please let the power of the Lord be great as you have promised, saying, 
The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity on the father of the fathers, on their children to the third and fourth generation. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt till now. So he's appealing, based upon your steadfast love, show them grace. Lord, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Verse 20 says, Then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word, but truly as I live, as all of the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers. So it says, those who have seen my glory, they're not going to go into that land. And I don't know about you, did your like, bing, did your mind go ten times? I wonder what ten times that was. Anybody? You're like, oh, God counted ten things against them. What were they? Well, I put them into categories for us, okay? There's the kind of start and the end, right? There's this lack of faith section of times that the people didn't trust God and they put him the test. One was at the Red Sea. Right before the Red Sea, there was a rebellion that was around there. And then right here, they didn't go into the promised land, right? Kind of the bookend versions of this was basically their lack of faith in God, right? Then there's five of them that are inside of what I would just call like the food category or the uh, we need physical needs category where we don't have any water, we're hungry. And then God's like, oh, here's manna from heaven, but only take your daily bread. And then they're like, let's take more. And then it turns sour, right? Then they're like, oh, we're supposed to not collect on the Sabbath, but they come out to collect on the Sabbath and they test the Lord. So there's five of those water, manna, food sort of things, right? And then there's two that I would say the go back to Egypt category. We read one of them, didn't we? Remember? Oh, they had free fish there and garlic and onions. Let's go back. Things are so much better because they have this sort of forgot what was behind and only remember what they're in right now. They forgot what the Lord had done for them. And, th and that's nine of them. Oh, yeah, that golden calf thing, right? Pretty big one, right? And these are the ten times that we see in Scripture that the people tested or did not obey God and what he had commanded for them to do. So he says, ten times they have not obeyed my voice, and so they shall not see the land that I swore to their fathers. Remember, this was the land that he gave Abraham. Go from your country and come here. And then they left there with Joseph to go into Egypt, and now God is bringing them back to the land they had promised to Abraham, and they're unwilling to go in and to follow it, unwilling to follow him into that. And so he tells them these instructions, and now none of you, those who despise me shall see it, but my, Caleb, my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring him into the land to which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now says the Amicalites and the Canaanites dwell in the valleys, turn tomorrow and set out for the wilderness by the way to the Red Sea. And the wilderness journey begins. Right? They're at the edge of stepping into God's plan for their life, a land of flourishing, but they're going to have to step through a hard situation to it, and yet they turned and doubted God. And I don't know what you're going through. 
I know as husbands and wives, sometimes there's things in our marriage that are struggles. Who's going to be the one willing to step into that struggle and talk through that issue? Sometimes things happen with kids. It's like, oh, I don't know what to do. Who's going to be willing to step in and show grace and love with their kids to show them an example of Christ? Maybe at work there's a situation. You need to talk to someone at work. You have something against them. Are you willing with the joy of the Lord and, and grace and respect step into that situation? Or are we going to turn and not trust God with our future? Let's not be like the Israelites. Let's not turn away from God's plan. Let's press in, even if it's hard, even if it's a challenge. Okay, let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this example that we see in your word, Lord. I pray that you'll help us to not be swayed by the opinion of the world around us, by bad reports or fear reports. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to walk in faith, not by sight. So, Lord, help us to be steadfast in your word. Help us to truly trust you with our lives. Lord, as we get ready to um, talk about our banquet tonight and we get ready to walk out, Lord, as a church, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to glorify you with everything that we do. Lord, help us to be a light that brings about revival to our community. So, Lord, we pray for revival in your name. Amen. Amen. I just have a couple of announcements before you make your way out. In the foyer, there are still a time. Uh, there's still t time for you to sign up, women, for the ladies' advent event that's going to take place. So y'all can speak to Sandra and some of the other ladies there about that. And then tonight, as Chris is praying, we have our banquet. Are you excited about our banquet? Aloha. Yes, we're already dressed for it. Yes. Well, we're excited about what uh, we get to share with you and what God has been doing in our church, and also looking towards the future and what He has in store for us. So just some details about the banquet. If you plan on coming, it's at 6 o'clock. And if you have children who are four years old through sixth grade, you will take them to Barton Middle School across the street and check them in there. If they're younger than four years old, you can bring them here, and we'll have them check, checked in at the children's common area. This is the closing verse as you make your way out, number 6, 24 through 26. It says, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in peace, church. God bless.